Mike called me a couple of weeks ago and asked me if I would share this Sunday, and I said, sure, I'd be glad to. And he said, by the way, the topic is loving your enemies, and since you have more enemies than me, I figured you could handle the topic better than I could. Yeah, I, I, I laughed too until this week, and um, then I find out that he was going around telling other people who were saying, so the topic's love your enemies next week. He goes, yeah, I hit it off to my wife. She's got more enemies than I do, so she's going to be speaking. So here's the deal. A, you can either pray for me because apparently I've got some desperate enemy problem, or B, you can pray for my husband who seems to be dangerously in denial of his own heart issues. He will be back here next week and sharing a message with you, maybe, if he gets his heart right with God, we'll see. Um, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in deep. I want you to go ahead and turn, if you got your Bible, to Luke chapter 6, or if you're going to bring it up on your phone, on your app, go ahead and find it. If you don't have either one of those, don't worry about it. The verses that we read will appear on the screen, but here's the deal. Here's the subject. Love your enemies. This is hard. This is hard to do. This is hard to teach. This is hard to hear. Love your enemies. It sounds like this like this overstatement maybe that Jesus made, okay? That we're just all supposed to just love everyone and just get along all real happy even when people around us aren't real lovable and it's all just going to come out just easy as pie like it's some delusional statement or idea that maybe we have, but Jesus is very well aware that when he made this statement to love your enemies, that he was saying it to an audience, that what he said was unconventional, that the general population had a different idea. In Matthew, he says it this way to them. He says, look, you've heard it said this way, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. And everybody around him is going, yeah, 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 we've heard it put that way before, Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Yeah, we're tracking with you, Jesus. And then Jesus drops this bomb into into their thinking, and he's saying, no, no, no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love your enemies. See, what they had done is they had taken what had been written in law that said, love your neighbor as yourself. And they had, like, taken out parts that they didn't really like, and they put in a part that that they wanted. So it was kind of a convenient little neat package for them that sounded something like this. Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. And Jesus is going, nope, wait a minute. I want you to love your enemy. And he's going for this radical, kind of revolutionary shift in their heart. That what he's wanting to create in our hearts is this. He's wanting to create in the invisible this place where we are believing and we are receiving God's love for us in such a way that we're learning to love ourselves and see ourselves as God loves us in the invisible, so that in the visible, it's being overflowed, it's being pouring out onto our neighbor and also to our enemies. So he makes this statement, love your enemies. And the thing about the statement is, is it's not a suggestion. It's not like, you know, if, if you could kind of like work it out and squeeze it into the relationship, you know, with your enemies, and if it's just kind of convenient for you in that circumstance, could you like love your enemies a little bit? It's not a suggestion that he makes. Actually, what it is, is it's a command that he's making to us. 
Now, here's the deal is I know that as you're listening to what I'm saying, and as we go further into this message, I already know what you're going to be thinking. Not because I'm psychic or anything like that, okay? I wasn't listening in the car when you came. But because I've sat on that side of this message. I've heard this plenty of times in my heart, and I can tell you the thoughts that went through my mind as, as someone was telling me the things that I'm going to be telling you. So I'm just going to tell you what they are. And I want you to begin to recognize that voice that creeps up in your head. Here's some of these things that you might think, as I'm saying, as we go through this message, love your enemies, you might be thinking, I can't. You have no idea how much they hurt me. Or you might think, if I show love, they will never learn what they did wrong. Or, I've tried it, didn't work, they still haven't changed. Or you might be thinking, they don't deserve it. Or there's no way I'm going to let that person off the hook. Or you might be thinking, love? No way. I hate them. I want you to pick out one of these voices. Now listen, this is a hard message. Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you right up front. There's going to be some ouches. Like, oh, okay, I mean, just go ahead and say it. Ouch. Oh, come on, get it over with. It's like going and getting a shot. Come on, just cry about it now. Just go, go ouch. Thank you, okay? So there's going to be some of those that I'm going to say. And that voice is going to creep up, that you're going to identify. It's going to creep up. But what I want you to do is I want you to push pause for a minute. And I want you to go, you know what? No, I'm not going to think that way for a minute. I'm just going to lean in for the next 20 minutes because maybe in that pain, maybe God is trying to provoke or to prick some place in your heart to give you some alternative thought that maybe you hadn't really considered before. Or maybe if you did consider it, he wants to rearrange it so that actually you find freedom on the other side. Let's look at Luke 6, verse 27. 28 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, if love your enemies is a command, I, I have a question about that as I was reading this text. Can you really command somebody to love their enemies? I mean, I mean, try that at home and see how it works for you. You walk into the room, your kids are in an argument, and you go up to them and you say, all right, I want you to apologize right now. And that kid looks at the other kid and says, I'm sorry. I mean, can you feel the love? in the room, and so you take it to the next level. You're, you're, you realize this and say, okay, what I want, I want you to tell them what it is you're sorry for. So they look at each other and say, I'm sorry it hit you. And the other one looks at them and says, I'm sorry it didn't hit you harder the first time. We're not getting anywhere here. And so you do what you're supposed to do. You, you Parentally, you say, all right, I want you both to go sit on the couch, and I'm going to teach you to love each other, and you're going to put your arms around each other, and I want you to sing, I love you, you love me. We're a happy family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say, yeah, okay? Don't look at me like you've never done that. We all have our parental craziness, okay? We cannot command someone to love someone. But we do hope that through some choices, through a path that can be laid out, that they would grow into this, that they would mature into this. In Luke 6, 32 and 33, I love how the message paraphrases it this way. If you only love the lovable, 
do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do it that way. And if you help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Yeah, I'd like one of those, please. That'd be great. Garden variety sinners do that. And then look in verse 35. He says, love your enemies, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Now, he's not saying this. If you love your enemies, you will become children of the Most High. What he's saying is, since you are children of the Most High, act like it. Ouch. That would be an ouch. And love your enemies. Mirror me. I have given you a model here to follow. See, what we like to do is we like to get behavior modification in front of heart transformation. So we look at this whole idea of loving our enemies. And we think this, we think, okay, if i got to love my enemies, it says i got to do good, and I've got to bless them, and I've got to pray for them. Okay, well, I can handle that. Well, today when I leave the office, I can't stand my boss, but I'm going to do good by not letting the air out of his tire when I leave. Now, how's that for doing good? Or you, you want me to bless? Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I, I, I can bless. How about a, what is that phrase uh, that, that goes, uh, if you can't think of anything good, then don't say anything at all. Okay, I can do that. I shouldn't say anything at all. Or, or pray. Hey, I, I, I do that with my enemies. I mean, when Mike and I get into an argument, I immediately pray that God would show him the error of his ways. And you're thinking, wait a minute, you just used your husband as an enemy. So who's my enemy here? Your enemy, that, that whole word enemy, comes from the same word as hate. So ekthros, okay? It means the same thing, enemy hate. So your enemy is someone who hates you. But I'm going to tell you this. Your enemy is also someone. And when you look at this list in Luke, at the things that he tells us to do, that you withhold it and you refuse to do it. If he says forgive, you withhold forgiveness. He says don't judge, but you're going to judge. The thought of doing good, the thought of blessing them and not cursing them or praying for them just repulses you on the inside. If you could think of a person that that's how you feel toward them, that person in that moment or that circumstance is probably your enemy. What I want to do is I want to do this. I want to put this, this thought, this concept of loving your enemy, I want to put it right here, okay, over here on this side. And I want to come over here to the beginning. And, and let's journey toward that. Let's, let's mature toward it. But what we've got to do first is we've got to get our thinking on the right side. And I'm going to say something. It's not going to sit well with you. I don't really like the concept of it, but it's this. It's not in your notes, but I want you to write it down. We are, you are, an enemy of God. In Colossians 1.21, it says, you were far away from God. You were his enemy. Now, listen, I don't think of myself very often as an enemy of God, or as Paul says, the chief of all sinners. I, I, I fall somewhere between you know, saintly, angelic Mother Teresa and go to hell Hitler, okay? I'm not on either ends of the spectrum. I'm somewhere kind of right here in the middle, but I must be okay. But we got to get our thinking right, and we got to recognize and remember who we were, who we are. Because while I was God's enemy, God is dumping his love on his enemies, on me. And as I received that love, from him, 
that I enter into a relationship if I become a friend with God. But i got to recognize and get the thought on the right before anything else. If I can get that first, all these things can fall in order. Okay, let me, let's do it this way. Let's, let's take a test. All right? When you think of that person, your enemy, that person that when you, you your blood pressure rises, you know, you, you have to go get your anxiety medication, that vein pops out on your head, and you start squirming your teeth. Think of that enemy. Do you first think of your sins? Or do you first think of this long laundry list of everything that they've done to wrong you and against you? Because if you've tasted mercy, you're more apt to give mercy. In Luke 6, verse 36, it says, Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Now, there are some transactions that are going to have to take place in our heart. And I want you to hear this very clearly. Very clear. We're going to say it several times throughout this message. Loving your enemy is a transaction in your heart, not your enemy's heart. It's a transaction in your heart, and it has more to do with you than it has to do with them. And look at me in verse 37. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 says this. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will what? Be forgiven. The first transaction that we have to make, and, and as I, even as I say first, you see that little cycle thing there? I want you to hear this. This is not a linear approach. Even though we're going to go through them numerically, I think that all three of these go together, okay? They're, they're linked. They're intertwined. But the first one we're going to talk about is you. we have to release forgiveness. Now, let's come to a, a congruent definition of what this is by first letting me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denial. It's not pretending. It's not just sweeping it on the rug and we just all go around happy now. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Now, hang with me here. In order for reconciliation, a relationship to be made right, forgiveness has to take place. Okay? But if forgiveness is given, reconciliation does not have to happen on the other side. Think of it this way. You might need to forgive someone who hurt you and abused you who is dead, but you will not reconcile a relationship with them. You might need to forgive someone who has harmed you or abused you. And to enter back, to reconcile back into that relationship would be harmful. But you can forgive even though there's no reconciliation. Okay? Forgiveness is not a doormat. It's not enabling someone just to walk all over you. Forgiveness is not stuffing it or repressing it. All that does is it just relocates the pain to this other part of your heart, and it kind of transmogrifies. You become this bitter, angry kind of soul within. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We think it goes together. Forgetting might happen, but it might come later on down the road as healing takes place. Forget it, forget, forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. Now, this one is where I got caught, and I really struggled. Because I thought this, I thought, okay, if I forgive them, then what I'm doing is I'm letting them off the hook, and I'm saying that what they did to me is okay. 
And that is not the truth. Instead, what was happening is I had this hook in my heart, and I've got my enemy attached to it, and all the offenses that they've done against me, and it created this big weight, and I'm just kind of dragging it along with me, hooked to me. And what I need to do is I need to unhook it, forgiving them, releasing them, put it over here on God's hook, if you will, and then I'm the one that's set free. I'm the one that God can then begin to heal my heart. So that's what forgiveness is not. So here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a transaction in your heart when you choose to live with the consequence of a person's sin and not hold it against them. First of all, forgiveness is a choice. And let me tell you this. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, you ain't ever going to let that happen. It won't, it won't happen. Matter of fact, I have a journal that I kept that I would write out, God, I forgive, and I would do this daily, okay, because it was a process. Just because I said it didn't mean it had really taken effect in my heart. And so I would write, God, I forgive so-and-so for blank, because uh, it made me feel blank, 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 and blank. And the reason that I did that is because if I'm going to forgive them a debt, then I need to take into account the whole debt, right? And so I wrote it out, and I would choose daily to go through this prayer of forgiving them. You know, Peter came to Jesus, and, and this whole idea of forgiving, loving your enemies, and so forth, and Peter asked Jesus about this. I don't know, how, how often am I supposed to forgive? And, and Jesus tells him his story. He said, look, Peter, he said, look, the kingdom of God is like this. There's a king, and he has these servants. And all these servants owe the king this debt. Well, there was this one servant who owed the king, it says, 20 years worth of wages. So let's just say that a year's salary is $40,000. Okay, so 20 years worth. He owes the king $800,000. And the time has come to pay their debt. And the guy comes to the king, and he doesn't have it. His pockets are empty. And the king says, well then you are to be arrested and to haul off to jail. And the guy throws himself down, and he's pleading for mercy before the king, saying, I don't have it. I'm sorry. Please have mercy. Please be patient. And the king says, I want you to get up. Your debt is forgiven. You owe nothing. Peter, that's what the kingdom of God is like. But then the servant, he goes out in the corridors, and all the other servants are lined up to come before the king, and, and he sees this guy that he knows who owes him a day's wages, about $100. And he goes up to that guy, grabs him by the throat, and he chokes him. He says, you pay me what you owe me. And that guy's like, I don't, know, I don't have it. Please, please forgive me. Please have patience. Please have mercy. And the wicked servant says, I'm not having mercy. You go spend time in jail, and his tail is hauled off into prison. And all the people around are watching what just took place. They just saw this guy. You, you, you just for, forgiven and the king gave you mercy for this huge debt that you had, and you couldn't forgive this little bitty thing over here, this man who owed you? So they go before the king, and they tell the king everything that happened. The king is irate. And the king says this, Matthew chapter 18, he says, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you. And in anger, 
his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do it to every one of you who do if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Listen to me. Withholding forgiveness from someone is like crawling into your own little personal jail cell and locking the door. You're the one that ends up in prison. I say this with me. Loving my enemy has more to do with me than it does with them. Another transaction that has to take place is, is releasing judgment. A judgment is this place in your heart when you have been wrong. It's, it's, like, it's like insurrection. It's like mutiny of the heart almost. It's this place that instinctly what we do is we just kind of want to move God out of the way. I know that you're just. I know that you're judge. But you just kind of move over here to the seat because I'm taking the throne of the seat of judgment right now because somebody has wronged me and I'm going to make them pay. Matter of fact, what I'd like to do is I'm going to play the part of the prosecuting attorney and I'm going to bring the case against them. But I'd also like to play the part of the, of the defense attorney so I can protect myself. And if it's all right with you, I'd also like to be the jury so I can hear what's going on and come to the sentence of guilt. And then I want to also be the judge so I can cast that sentence. And then, you know, really also what I personally like to be is I'd also like to be the executioner to make sure they get what they deserve. And what happens is when we take this seat of judgment, we move God out of the place that he should be because we think we see their problem clearly. We see all the guilt. We see the wrong that they have done. And you know what? You really might. You might be quite accurate in your assessment of everything that they've done wrong to you. But when God sits in the seat of judge, he sees their wrong, he sees their sin, and he loves them. When we sit in the seat of judge, we see their guilt, we see their wrong, and we get annoyed, and then we get angry, and then we become bitter, and then we become resentful, and then we become hateful. And you know what we just did? We just stepped into sin. Let me say it to you this way. Listen, listen to this, because this is maybe just a generic kind of common phrase that you might hear. If somebody had wronged me, okay, I may come to you and I may say, you will never guess what they just did. I mean, I'm so sick of their temper. I mean, they just fly off the hangover. They just get angry, and they're just hateful, and they're just bitter. And can, can, can you hear the judgment? But can you also hear the place now where they're angry and they're bitter, and it's beginning to give birth within my own heart? What judgment does is judgment boomerangs around, and we assess that person's hardness of heart, but it comes right back around, and our heart becomes hard in the process. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be in those chains. Release the judgment. The third thing that you have to release is revenge. Revenge is that place that we are going to make them pay. As if we're going to shock their heart to repent. And even if they don't repent, we don't really care because at least we got it off of our chest, right? I was... Uh, we, we were at another church, and I was leading this program and making some decisions, and there was a person who came who did not like the way I was leading it. They did not like the decisions that I was making. They pretty much came and told me all about it. They began to accuse me of things. They began to falsely say things that were not true. There's some two other people that, that heard this conversation, and they came in to the room to kind of diffuse the situation. 
And this person pretty much laid into those two people, and they kind of like like dogs that just got tail stepped on, went scouring out the door. So here I am, just me and this person, and she's telling me what for. So I let her finish, and when she was done, I tactfully and politely but lovingly kind of addressed some of those boundaries that she had crossed with me and did it in a very good manner. And when I was done, she turns around, she storms out the hallway, going out the building, and as she is, she is mouthing off and saying all these things about me and mouthing all this stuff, and immediately my heart shifts, and I'm thinking, you are not going to do that to me. You are not going to talk to me that way. I take after her, and she throws open the door, and I throw open the doors right behind her, and we're standing outside, and our voices are elevated, and this deacon walks up, and he's just watching this whole thing take place. And I walk back inside, and I realize I've got blood on my hands. What in the world? And then I realized when I went out, that door was closing, and I hit that glass door with such fury. And I went and looked at that door, and glass had shattered in the door. Well, now these people are coming to the church for this event that I've, you know, been leading. And you know what the question is? What happened to the door? And you know what the answer is? Oh, Lori got angry and broke the glass door. You know what I wanted to say? She started it. There's a verse in Romans that says this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. You see what happens in these transactions of releasing forgiveness, releasing judgment, and releasing vengeance is we invite God into this process in our heart and it doesn't have anything to do with our enemy. It has everything to do with me. And I invite God into this process. And in this process, you know what happens? He begins to transform my heart in this process. He unlocks a power. He unleashes his presence where the Holy Spirit is, his presence is, and there is freedom there. Say this with me. Loving my enemy has nothing to do with me, or has more to do with me. Don't you say that. (laughs) Has more to do with me than it does with them. We uh, watched a musical in our house not too long ago, Les Miserables, and I was thrilled because the men in my house actually stayed awake for the whole thing. And the story is great, but the, there, there's a character in there, Jean Valjean. And I love just saying that, you know, just a romantic, just saying it. And he's this beaten down, soul destroyed. He's being chased, oppressed by his enemy. He's wandering aimlessly. He's distraught, he's homeless, he's hungry. And he comes up to this place where a priest finds him. There's something within us that to do good to our enemy, to bless them. There's something within us that makes us think that's weak. And I want to tell you that it's actually powerful. We think that it's passive. And really what it is, it's an aggressive grace 
that we are giving to them. And we can do it if and only if God has transacted this place in our heart where we've released forgiveness, we've deposited it, we've, we've removed our place from judgment, we've removed our, our place from vengeance. Then we can begin to move toward these places, not because of behavior modification, but because of a heart transformation. And we can then release praying for our enemies. David, he prayed for his enemies. He, he said, look, I hate those who hate you. Matter of fact, I hate them with the utmost hatred. And the verse following that, you know what he says? But search me, O God, and know my heart. So he's got his praying, and he's got his, his hatred on the right side of where God would want it. The second thing that you begin to release is you can release blessing. You can speak truth over them instead of assigning some kind of curse over them. You release doing good. Listen, picture with me if you can when Jesus is arrested, okay? He's in this garden, and he is completely surrounded by soldiers. It's an incredibly tense moment, all right? So Peter takes out his sword. He goes and he whacks off one of the soldiers' ears. And so Jesus picks up the ear, and he goes to the soldier. He said, all right, let's negotiate here. Okay, if you will let me go, then I'll heal you, right? No. What does Jesus do? He picks up the ear. He puts it back on the guy and heals him. They haul Jesus' tail off. He's being abused. He's being beaten. He's being hung on the cross. Now, I don't know what the conversation was. The Bible does not tell us the conversation was with that soldier. But I can imagine that soldier going back to the barracks and going, look at my ear. I mean, he picked it up. Dude, he picked it up off the ground. And he put it back on. I mean, do you see any seams to where he... He put it and glued it back on there. What, who does that? Matter of fact, what kind of barbaric love is that? We begin to do good, even with our enemies, and then we can release love to our enemies. On your bulletin at the bottom, on your communication guide, there's a prayer. And it's pretty much the same prayer that I used in my own forgiveness process. Now, I want you to look at it. And while the band is singing, I want you to sit there and I want you to look at it. And I want you to take inventory. I want you to write in the blank. God, I choose, I choose to forgive so-and-so for whatever it is. Because I felt, and you list all these things. And you might not even finish the process today, okay? But you begin the process today, and you take into account all the wrongs so you can forgive all the debts. And then just take a moment in prayer, and quietly pray, begin to pray, God, I choose to release my thoughts of judging them to you. I choose not to hold on to resentment or revenge. Thank you for setting me free from these chains. God, bless those who have hurt me. And this can become your prayer. I read a book not too long ago called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, and he kind of poses this question. He says, what if the gates of hell are locked from the inside? And he goes on, and he kind of paints this picture of these people that are chained from within in bitterness, in hatred, in anger, and they pretty much live in their own private hell. 
their own private prison because of everything that everybody else is doing and done wrong to them, but they're carrying it around, the weight and all these chains of all the offenses and all the wrong of all their enemies. Yet Jesus says, if you will walk these steps, if you will follow me, you will grow into learning to love your enemies. And in that place, not only will your enemy find love, but you will be free. Pray with me. God, this is hard. God, I pray right now. I pray, I just pray very bluntly and specifically that you would bring to mind people that we need to release, that we need to forgive. God, I know that there's a lot of pain in this room. Hurt, abuse, things, God, that should never have happened to anyone. And God, we don't have to continue to live in those places in our heart. God, we can find a place of forgiveness. And God, I pray when those voices in their heads are coming in right now saying, they don't deserve it, you shouldn't do that, they ought to pay for their crime. God, we can release trust and love. And God, you say that where your spirit is, there is freedom. God, I pray we would find that freedom right now.